Welcome to Snakes and Otters, a pointless discussion of eternal questions. Get ready, we're about to live in your head rent-free. Hello, Otterites. This is episode 180. I am Martin. And I'm Robert. And I'm Francis sitting in the captain's chair. And first, folks, this is not what you may have expected. We've got a format Is change. it Spanish Inquisition? Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. You well know done. that. Well done, both of you. Well done. All yes, kind of that's well right. Done. Money Python. Well, you know, Monty Python also talks about new subject, completely new subject. That's kind of what we're talking about here. Format change. We are now dropping new episodes the second and fourth Friday of every week. Not every week. But every month. Every month. And, not, and no longer every week. 6 a.m. instead of noon. We thought we'd give it to you a little early. So That's right. Our present to you. Very much so. <laughs> yes. So that's what... And in doing this, we reshuffled what our plans were. So we're actually moving into our penultimate episode on the our philosopher series uh we decided we, we're going to do hegel we decided to give him the boot yes <laughs> and, and give hegel a pass that's right uh and we're going into the one we've been talking about for i don't know how long john stuart mill right. the guy we have sworn to burn in effigy here's our time right and so the, the format change though is not only just are we moving from every week to twice a month, right? Semi monthly, semi monthly, semi monthly, but we're folding the history, people, and pop culture into the first episode that month, right? right. Which is still probably going to be mostly history and our heroes slash people right. you should know, right? Well, pop those, those were all history anyway, really, for the most part, yeah. Uh, and even our pop culture was cultural history because right. we weren't doing anything current well it's, we it's not did, like we you know we're we did some they weren't super super current well we mostly just to make fun of current pop we weren't doing taylor swift episodes or anything no 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 i mean <laughs> wasn't she next on our our, our heroes no no, <laughs> no she's not. so i we, thought martin had that one next on the calendar so but we're retaining code of honor as the second episode of the month Yes, and then everything else folds into the first episode. So you which, never know. Yes, it gives us a you... huge banner. It resolves the problem we have with deciding what to do with our heroes. Yes. So now, now the people are faded in, are folded in. So we can do anything with the people. We can do, you know, history's jerks or whatever it was that we were going to yeah. do. History's dirtbags. History's dirtbags. Right. That was your idea. You forgot the word. I mean, that was your turn. Well, no, I, I remembered the word, but you told me I couldn't use it on the air. Did I say that? Did we say that? Dirt bags. No, no, no. It used to be douchebags. Yes. Oh, that's it. No, no. Yes. Dirtbags is a cool word. I always yes. liked that word. Yes. yes. I was yes. going to, you know, history's douchebags, but you all said I couldn't use that on Did the air. Because I, I, I haven't I, seen any part. It might have been well, him. I perhaps. I mean, Dirtbag is just, it's better. I believe I like some it. of Francis's uh, listeners that he's attracted to the podcast may have sensitive ears. Um, well, so, we've lost those two people. Yes. Oh, no, 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 gentlemen. This comes from the guy who's the first one to ever drop the F-bomb. Come on. Okay. True. Well, you did it accidentally. That's great. I did it on purpose. That's oh, true. Oh, and Hoobajoobs will not disappear. No, they that's right. They will still happen uh, on those fifth Fridays. So some months you will get the bonus. That's right. There will be three episodes in Right, because Hoobajoobs are too much fun to get rid of. Yes. That's right. We'll do them whenever we feel like it. Well, I think we're probably still going to try and do them when there's a fifth Friday. That's right? a general rule. That's correct. Yes. You know, we might skip one if we run into things. We've not run into the issue of running out of content yet. Right. And right. I think this will help us resolve. I think 
this format is much more sustainable long term than every week. Well, yeah, I mean, it's been so many things for us. Yeah, personally, as you know, it's been not necessarily a struggle, but to do the episodes all the time. Sometimes it has been. It has certainly been a struggle to find a weekend where we can get them all done, where we have all day because it takes all day. It's an all day thing for four or five episodes, right? And that's been hard because you know Francis and my weekends can be really packed. I mean, not that that Martin's can't, but. We've got some outside hard and fast. Yeah, I things mean, my that... naps are are important to me. Well, yeah, I mean, naps are important. Oh, please don't rub it in, please. You, you know, boot you guys out of uh, Studio M so I can take a nap. Oh, that's per- valid. The perils of getting older, gentlemen. I didn't say old, older. older. That's older. right. All right. So, so okay. well done, Francis. I appreciate the uh, the the uh, working that through and, and letting the Listeners know. So, yes, I know you were expecting whatever the history topic was for this week. I've already forgotten. But instead, you're getting John Stewart now. That's right. Exactly. And that's and that's where we're going to go with this. Uh, we've been speaking of him in many respects for, for years now. It could be argued uh, by some he was the most influential philosopher of the 19th century. I don't think that that is too much of an arguable point. I believe that his philosophy of utilitarianism in particular governs our modern way of looking so at things. Before we get too far, and I know you guys hate doing bio, but I always think a little no, bit no. of context oh, is... No. We're getting there. We bio is important. I think that's extremely important because... But give me a window about his life. Oh, he's born, born in 1806, dies in 1873. So he's wow, that's started. a window, all right. Pretty broad, that's pretty right. minimal. So, but that's you're starting out Napoleonic era. That's right. But an era unlike a lot of the people we've talked about. This is an era of stability in Britain, and he is English. That's right. Generally speaking, yeah. you are correct. And this is the peak, really, of the British Empire. Correct. Yeah, because he, he, he is an empire guy. This is all he knows. Very much so. Yeah, he is. Uh, uh, for the latter half of his life, he is Victorian. In his, now he wasn't before that because you know Victoria ascends you know in the 1830s. Right, but I mean, so, describing his era as part of the Victorian era is very is not inaccurate. Is, is yeah, not. I mean that's very much to the point. Um, again, that is the peak. That is the whole. The sun never sets on the Union Jack. Well, kind actually, of he's thing. isn't he? He dies in seventy. So he really most of his career is pre-Victorian era. Well, he becomes really famous right around the time Victoria ascends, and what what what's really what I think you're but, going but for here is yeah, even before Victoria though yeah, I mean Brits are it's India it's yeah 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 Canada yeah. it's Africa it's everywhere the Brits are everywhere already yeah right yeah. I'm just saying that you know I, I wouldn't associate him with Victorianism specifically because he is certainly his yeah, a little, a little he, would, he, he is before her primarily yeah but doesn't but, mean the effect isn't felt. Right, one of the, which the point I'm trying to make with comparing him to Victorianism is because his philosophy is absolutely antithetical to the traditional Victorian morality that dominates this. Yes, period. he very much, for his day, is a political liberal, uh, a libertine, libertine, however you want to put. Yeah, uh, he's you know he was an early uh, feminist in the sense that he called for women's suffrage. Uh, he was the second member of Parliament to do that. That's right. So he was very, very early jumped on that, uh, wrote a feminist work, The Subjection of Women, 
uh, he had some, uh, and we were looking at quotes for Code of Honor on him. He was, He's very much anti-conservative of the day. Right. Uh, probably would be very anti-conservative of modern day as well. He would be. He's very progressive in many ways, but that's not the reason that we have issues with him. We'll kind of get into right. that. Right, and, and... Because and, much of this is very good. His, right, and, and stress that progressive doesn't necessarily equate to what you would see as a today... Like progressive then progressive. does not mean today's socialist progressive, because yeah, that's what... That's I mean, he's not talking about breaking down the whole system or oh, no, any no, of that. I mean, he is, he is British through and right. through. He's not for defunding the bobbies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That to, would not be a call to, he to would put make. That it. But, again, in some... He is, but he would have been seen somewhat as a radical again with calling women so suffrage and all that. Uh, but, he, he was very much socially progressive, not necessarily politically yeah. so. And that's where, meaning, we're going to change things and the well, status Well, I don't know that you can really... Uh, especially with some of the issues that he had, uh, can divorce politically from socially. That's correct. I mean, it's complicated. Yeah. Hello, thank you. But he's not the progenitor of utilitarianism. No, he is not. No, he that's is, Jeremy Bentham. Is, that's correct. But he is the one that made it. That but his dad's tight with complete, Bentham. Completely and so polished it to yeah. become what the, 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 full, the full flowering uh, occurs under him. No question. Uh, because of his, his works that, uh, that he puts out. Uh, and just to give you a little bit of the bio on him, not to go very deep with this, but he was uh, um, brought forth with a unbelievably strict upbringing, almost uh, imprisoned in many respects, uh, by his father who saw him as a social experiment. Yeah, I mean, he was almost living vicariously through the sun. No as, question, which we don't and, see and that. it's like, I can make the perfect person. That's right. He's, he's, he's very Frankensteinian in a way. Because his father, I am going to make him the perfect intellect. And he's reading Greek yeah. at three, folks. <laughs> yeah. but he, and he was a prodigy. He was an absolute genius. There's no question about that. You know, just look at his bio. Uh, uh, and he does an autobiography, which is one of the reasons we know so much about him. Yeah. Uh, but you know, he uh, and Jeremy Bentham... Uh, is pretty much part of the progenitor intellectually of his utilitarianism. It's very, very important. And, and, but Mill's father was a friend and co-conspirator, I suppose you might say, with Bentham. He was a adherent to him, and he saw that his son would be the one to carry on the the idea. Forward, which he end up, which he does end up doing, but he has a freaking nervous breakdown at twenty mm-hmm. because yes, of the, he nearly uh, he contemplates suicide. He's, very he much has so. some serious all because of issues. the absolute fire hose of strictness of his upbringing. Uh, looking back on it today, of course, you know I wasn't there, but it's sure it's almost borders to me on child abuse of a very different type. Uh, well, a lot of like child psychological rearing back psych- then, that's right. we would consider child abuse today. Yes, but I mean, I mean, I mean we were raised would be considered child abuse. And well, I mean, as a total, as a, as a as a deliberate focus, what his father was trying to do with him, make him into a minion, uh, uh, comes through that. I mean, he's reading a Xenophon and Herodotus at the age of eight. Uh, I mean, it's amazing what he's gone through here. He. Um, he finally, at, at, after that nervous breakdown, he recognizes, this is me speaking, this is kind of putting the, 
meta into this that what he's been sold up to this point is not quite the way it is. It shouldn't be this way. He Life finally made kind of an emerge to find his own direction. Find his own direction, which ironically he does do what his father had wished him to do. But he does so for a very different reason because he takes it much further than Bentham ever did. And, it, and that's how utilitarianism is his saga. It is his... Well, um, you know, uh, in many ways, it's cut to the chase here. You're dancing yeah. around, nobody really, uh, I think, cares about a lot of that stuff in so much as this. He has this really strict upbringing that is imposed upon him as right. opposed to... Uh, being guided into yeah. uh, an intellectual right. flowering of his own. It's not a strict upbringing in the sense of I want to protect you. It's, right. It's I a, have this goal. I'm controlling. You. Yeah, that's right. I'm trying and, to control you to this goal. Right, and that is what causes not only the break, but I think that is strictly and directly leads to his views on utilitarianism, exactly. and he essentially is the prototypical libertarian. Yes. No offense to our resident libertarian-minded... Marcus uh, Aurelius. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, uh, yeah, libertarianism absolutely owes its intellectual existence absolutely, to, to yes. utilitarianism. Well, it, because his whole point is an individual should be free to do whatever they want in so much as they do not harm anyone else. That's exactly... Is the way he puts it. In a nutshell. That's and it. while that is ultimately you know, a nice modifier, uh, utilitarianism goes beyond that. It really does, because it usually drops off the, as long as we don't harm anybody else, because then it becomes the greatest good for the greatest number of people, which almost always implies that greatest good for the greatest number of people, some harm for some other people. That's correct. Which is basically, we can do whatever we want to you as long as it benefits us. As long as there are more of us than there are of you, yeah, because it can be used as a cover for almost anything, and yes. that's where we are today. Yeah. That's one of the reasons that we have such an issue with him, because he works through a system of logic. When, if you read his book on liberty, which is you know lays it all out very clearly, when you read that, you say, "Well, of course, well, of course, well, of course, well, of course." Do you realize you don't think into where the applic- where the logical conclusion of this goes, and the macro level. It's easy to see uh, that freedom is a, is a gift in many respects, and he and he, you know, there there are many great things in his work that you can pull out and say, well, of course we believe that. So much of what we believe in the modern American society stems from him. You know, we, we talked about the roots with Locke. A lot of it is there, politically speaking, but socially and politically too, uh, it's it's Mill. Yeah. It's, it's very much where yeah, well, we ended up. Uh, uh, Manifest Destiny is very much a utilitarianism uh, kind of philosophy. Well, I like that. Yes, yes that's yeah, very good. Yeah, I, the white people can put the land to better use than the red people. Right. So well, even they don't uh, have any. Right. So naturally, that is very much. But even uh, you know, rugged individualism is very much a utilitarianism in the sense that whatever I think is good for me is okay, and. You know, a lot of what his, I mean, that's not a, a, a full summation of that, but, you know, right. rugged individualism, but the whole idea about pulling, your, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps implies that you are allowed to do, and not only just allowed, but have the God-given right to do whatever it is that you want to better and yourself. And your obligation, really. Yeah, to do which is very want. much a Nietzschean kind of idea uh, in that sense. But 
again, all goes back to... And they would have been a, contemporaries. A, well, he predates Nietzsche a bit. He does, Just yeah. a little bit, yeah. yeah. They overlap some, but... But it was very much the end of, of uh, Mill and beginning of, you know, of Nietzsche. Yeah. Yeah. And plus, given the language difference, there's probably not a whole lot of, of that overlap in a, in a practical sense until much later. Uh, but anyways, you know, the whole idea that... that uh, you have this obligation to do these things that to either better yourself, whatever. It almost always there is a lack of a consideration for a societal good or a societal responsibility. That's right. And because the societal responsibility is is the presumption that well, what we're what we're choosing to do, especially when you talk, start talking about applying this at the the macro level, mm-hmm. is that it is good. It's a good enough or a a good for enough people. Uh, that overrides those that we harm, and, and that's my. You know, I think that's really where our biggest problem yeah, is. You know, the the thing about this, it, on that level, it's very seductive, and then but you see later where he became politically, and he was very much for kind of an activist government too. Mm-hmm. Again, this that's era, very Hobbesian. In yeah, I mean he's. He's in this era of stability, yeah. so he's not so much concerned about small government and preserving people's rights. He's about what can the government do to fix things. So the bad idea is stack one on the next. Inheritance taxes, he's all for, and um, you know, using tax policy to affect change and things like this. It's like, wow, that's a horribly bad idea. But it's the basis of modern government and, yeah, in the United States. Yeah, and, and in Britain. Yeah. And so it's like... Well, everywhere, everywhere in the West, really. Yeah, it's like, wait, wait, how did... So it's just it, this what? huge globby mess that he makes of everything. Well, he's well-spoken with his arguments. Like we can we can certainly say that if you read his book, he's, he's very, very... The seductive words you use is very clear. Because he does recognize some of this stuff here. He sees... Uh, uh, social liberty is a big thing for him, but it's protection from the tyranny of political rulers, which is at odds with a lot of what we associate with Mills. Because again, when you start talking about, I go back to that greatest good for the greatest number. That almost has to lead you to a tyranny, not only of the majority, mm-hmm. uh, in the sense that the majority has to approve it, but then that directly leads to a tyranny. Of the minority rulers, mm-hmm. because they start imposing things, saying, "Well, this is for your good. We we know better, and so and we are your betters." And this is where a lot of the the, the philosophy of the 1800s come from: is we know better than you. Yeah. And so even the and so we say it's for your own good. So therefore, you should should ascribe to this. And so I find like a lot of the philosophers of the time, they're they hold contradictory positions. Mill does address the entire concept of social liberty from the government and also from the tyranny of the majority. That, that's one of the phrases that he actually coins uh, to talk about that. He rec- yes, is- he has a great quote about it. It's really long, but the, essentially the point is we should never silence one voice in favor of the, of the, the thousands mm-hmm. because you know, that one voice might actually be correct or at least have a, an element of truth and in that's it, where he, which that's- is a great Ideal. Mm-hmm. That's right. But ultimately, it's unworkable with a lot of where 
his philosophy takes people. Right, and one of the, and that's one of the reasons he he's all for this gov- the, the level of government interference. That's not the phrase he uses. It's more like a system of constitutional checks. Yes, what he calls it to prevent those things, a tyranny of any type. Anything that's very consistent with his basis is if we're all about liberty, tyranny is the ultimate enemy, and it can be either social or political or both or both. But the and this is where it, and maybe it's just because we're looking back with you know uh, at these various philosophers that I've critiqued for you know if you look at where it ultimately goes. We're looking at it with hindsight saying, well, obviously, this is where it goes because we see these examples today. And the government having the power to protect you from tyranny has enough power to impose tyranny. It's a double-edged sword. It's a very fine line to be able to walk. And it's, in my opinion, it's impossible to walk that fine line permanently. Somewhere along the way, it's going to fall off. Yeah, and that's... Yeah. He saw broad-ranging taxation especially as the most important government policy to institute equality among people but his caveat is always a tax policy judiciously applied right well it's like Adam said we're gonna happen you know well Well, it's like Adam said about us you know our system of government is built for a moral people yeah and that's the implication. A lot of this stuff is that as soon as you start becoming selfish, because the, the, that point I think is when you become immoral, is when you start becoming selfish, looking out for your particular interests as opposed to the yeah. your societal responsibilities, that's when it turns evil. And that's almost always going to happen. And, and honestly, I think right. it happens and, far faster than anybody expects. And I think to. that's the important realization for where... Mill breaks down so strongly for us is you have to safeguard against your ideas then being used to build tyranny. To build Nazi Germany. Yeah. I mean, that's essentially... You know, you you give government a lever of power to do something good. But well, inherent in that is they have the power to do bad as right, well. It, it, right. You, you've also given them the same lever... To do something horrible. That's right. correct. Because it can and, be applied in multiple ways. Right. And you have to be able to see that. And Mill doesn't see that. Well, Mill cool. doesn't understand that part of our government character. Is the is the check. He recognizes society can go off on its own very easily in towards tyranny. He recognizes society's tendencies toward tyranny. He sets government aside. This is a very Victorian idea. Yeah. It's actually Hobbesian in many respects. Yeah. But the government is supposed to be beyond such things. It should be the check that prevents these things from happening. So I think that's naive. Well, that's correct. That's incredibly naive. That's exactly that's, it. That's he does not see that government itself, by its by giving them this much power, whatever that is, whatever it looks like, yeah. it will tend towards tyranny as well. Well, and I think the issue there is, let's put it in context for him, is that I wouldn't necessarily say we give him a pass for this, but I think it makes it understandable. And that is that he comes from a time, especially in England, mm-hmm. where societal norms... The aristocracy, all of that, which is, you know, he comes from that level of society, if not the aristocracy itself. But he comes from that level of society where that societal norm, the imposition of that, is far more powerful than anything else, including what the government can do at this point. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, there's always a balance. So we've gotten to the point where I think it's the opposite. Societal norm, 
Well, no, I think it's there's still it, there's a push and pull. It's a chicken or the egg thing now. Yeah. You know, back then, societal norms pushed the government. Now, I think it goes both ways. Mm-hmm. Government pushes societal norms, and societal norms in turn push the government. Um, can one of you let uh, Bosco out? He is uh, he has decided it is time to take his leave. He's had enough of our discussions. Time to nap somewhere else. Time to nap somewhere else. He's yes. a good boy. You know, at his boy. age, I expect him to. You know, that's his job is to nap. Uh, when when Nemers comes over later, he's gonna be he's probably gonna be right back in here. <laughs> so, uh, listeners, you may get to, to uh, audibly meet uh, uh, second daughter's uh, uh, new dog Nemo, whom I affectionately call Nemers, and uh, he will be coming over later. And I'm not sure if they'll be here before we finish recording. So, if not this episode, maybe the next episode. Who knows? I, I look forward to it. I love what we have. He's a little piece. bagel. Uh, oh. Nemo has his own Instagram. Oh, good lord. Of course yes. he does. Nemo the Bagel. So if you want to go Instagram and visit Nemo the Bagel, you will see what he looks like. He's very cute. He's adorable. He's very, uh, very cuddly. Loves He's a good to... boy. Very good, a good boy. boy. He, I'm sure, is going to jump right up in, in uh, Francis's lap and want to come. We're here oh, at Studio R. Joy. Oh, yes, we haven't even asked where we are. We're in Studio R here recording in the atrium. And uh, enjoying the uh, the view. Of course, you know it's it's fall, so the view is not quite as good. But uh, uh, the, you're starting to have some very nice color here in your area in yes, your neighborhood. It's not quite as vivid as, as I would like. But trees, it's, we so. do, yes. Um, uh, not nearly the, uh, yeah, the evergreens. Still some green, still some green. They have late October. It's not quite peak color here. No, I like I can see a little bit of red over there, but we don't. It's not the variety that I grew up with, but it, it's more than we get in a lot of places here in Jefferson County, which is really nice. Uh, the yeah. leaves, though, are horrible. If you look, we just got the pool, the cover on the pool this past week, and already there's a ton of water and leaves on the top, uh, which is just lovely. Yeah, and it kind of depends on the tree species too. It does. It does. Uh, oaks are, I think, are always kind of last. Yeah, oaks yeah. are last. Uh, so you've got a little bit of oaks and some maples. I think the maples are turning. Uh, they're kind of yellow looking. Yeah, yeah. You don't have a ton of red and orange. No, uh, unfortunately. So you don't have those. Uh, you can see it. Uh, just if You can't see it from where you guys are, but I can see a little bit of red straight across from here. Which yeah. I kind of wish we had a little bit of that back here. But, uh, you know, it, it's great view. Uh, it's one of the nice things. It's really the, uh, the only place we record where we get a decent view. Because uh, yeah. we're in Martin's basement and in the game room, which is in the back of the house, for uh, for Francis, uh, so it's one of the things I do look forward about uh, about hosting here is not just the fact that I don't have to leave the house, but just get the view, get a, get more view here yeah. in the atrium than uh, than Studio F or Studio uh, M. Yep, yep. So uh, since we're since we've uh, since we pause since we pause, I guess uh, our arms Francis, are tired from swinging so far at the uh, at the pinata, the Bill pinata. Uh, I guess now would be a good time to uh, have a bourbon break if that's amenable to uh, our captain. I think we're already there. (laughs) Shall we go for it? Would you uh, prefer to go first, sir? Well, yeah, well, it really doesn't matter (coughs) because you and I are drinking the exact same thing here. Uh, And uh, we're, we're, uh, of course, looting Robert's stash every time we come over here. Uh, We're doing what we've not done before here. Yes, we have. We have to have done this. We have. There's more of this bottle missing here. Uh, that I realized, but Old Forester is one of our favorites in many respects, and it has very, it has an enormous brand diversity of different. They, they I hate to use the word flavor because that's well, craft, small batch, 
Yeah, different versions of yeah. uh, of of the, the very old name here. This is the the one hundred proof. Um, it's old the Forrester. old Forester signature, signature series, exactly, which is signed by the master distiller. Uh, yeah, I think regular Old Forester is eighty six proof. Yes, which is very good as well. So good, and then this is hundred, and then the. Prohibition style is 110. 100. Prohibition style is my favorite. Yeah, it, which is, it, it, it stands up marked pretty, pretty loud. Yeah. Uh, and the 1897 version is like uh, 90 good. proof. So yeah. you've got, they're, they're in, the brand is so good that you can find whatever proof you like, whether you like it weaker or stronger, they have that. But this one here is supposed to be the perfection. Yes. I shall we say. It's kind of it like is the, meant to be top the, of the line. It's meant to be the sweet spot. And uh, I don't know that prohibition style is hard to beat because I really love the complexity of that one. It has this one has so this, many this things, one, and this is the on. same way. Uh, and I've had mine over ice, just the same as you are. Yeah. And my ice is long melted. How, how did you get your ice to stay long? We filled it at the same time. You must use more. More. Yeah, I, 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 I use just a little bit here. It's still chilled, mm -hmm. and uh, but that 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 melting ice brings forth an enormous bouquet. Uh, stays in the mouth. It's Kentucky Kiss. It's Kentucky Kiss. That's right. Around the around the tongue, around the teeth. Uh, it uh, it does not go up, does not go down. Very mellow, uh, very, mellow very mild. Uh, at a hundred proof, though. Yeah. So you know, it, it definitely shows itself to be uh, one of the one of the very top of the line. I really enjoy. Yeah, it. surprisingly, this is not even a corked bottle. It is a screw cap, but you know, because you don't expect a quality bourbon like that to not be a cork. But what's uh, the price point? You remember? Uh, I do not. It was under forty. It might have been around thirty. Oh, I want to say it's about thirty. Uh, mm -hmm. Most of most of the of the of the other old foresters are around that between thirty yeah. and forty. They're, yeah, they're, 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 they're a little more up there, but yeah. not not much. The, yeah, uh, I just don't. Remember. I'm sure at, at, at that uh, that particular one, it's probably in the thirty five range, give or take a little. I just don't recall. The it's been a while. one I've been looking for uh, is called Statesman Old Forester Statesman ah, okay. that I want to try, and I think it's a. 52 to 55 bottle. Okay, yeah. Okay. Uh, so that's one I want to try and get my hands on, but I don't know. That that might not be a good thing to lay out 50 bucks for a bottle. The, well, oh, no, I mean, my, my, my what else are you going to spend it on, says I? And, you know, <laughs> ammo, yeah. Uh, yeah. That was easy. <laughs> yeah. um, well, but... But you but that that deserves I mean, a little debt from Robert right there. Yeah, he, uh, I mean, you you laid out some cash for that Minters. That's not a cheap bottle. That's forty two. Yeah, I thought it was a little bit higher than that. Uh, usually forty eight. Oh, you got it on sale. Forty two, forty three. Okay, yeah. Um, so and then some. Yeah, some of the old foresters are hitting tickling fifty. The Yellowstone Select, I yeah. think, is tickling. 40 bucks. That's right. Well, you know, the, the Woodford Double Oaks retails 60 for, yeah. if you're lucky, you can find it for 50. That's right. Uh, rarely will you find it under but a. I, I want to get my 50. hands on some Old Forester Statesman and some of that Yellowstone Select. Um, if you can find Yellowstone. Yeah, well, that's super hard to find. Well, and one of the reasons is the popularity of the TV show. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. They'll tell you that. Even though they, the one has nothing to do yeah. with the other. Doesn't um, matter. It doesn't matter. It's doesn't got matter. the name, yeah. and people can kick back and watch the fifth season in November here with their Yellowstone bourbon in their hand. I'll be there watching that very thing with Mrs. Francis because she. Uh, uh, you guys don't watch it, so I can't talk much about it. Let's just say Kelly Riley's character of Beth Dutton. Mrs. Francis wants to be her. She is, and she is very close to her in many ways because she takes no prisoners. Okay. She is the strongest person on on the planet. My wife and Beth Dutton. So. 
it's easy to see. Very yeah. much so. Aside so, from the show, that Yellowstone Select was killer. I mean, th- yeah. there's a reason to drink it besides the name. It that was that yeah. was good stuff right yeah. up there. Made in great the Lebanon, wild turkey, great and, Lebanon, and Kentucky. That. That's right. It was, it was yeah. super good. So now, if you guys are done, I can get mine yes, in here. Yes, you're spending you know, 20 minutes on your bourbon, uh, which is fine. Uh, so I'm finishing off my uh, non creek nine year. This I've had for some time. I was going to say that bottle is now empty. And it is now empty. It's uh, part of that three pack I got from the, the kids uh, right, so a year or two what, ago. It's what? It's 20 a, ounces? It's a no, 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 no. It's a 375 milliliter, whatever yeah. that is. Yeah. Instead of a 750. It's half, yeah. half size. Half size, yeah. Uh, it, it's your travel bottle. Yeah. Uh, let's put it that way. And, you know, Knob Creek is a great bourbon. And the nine year, I mean, anything aged nine years is going to oh, be yeah. a good bourbon. Yeah, it, it's, it's a um, great Of course, I had it on the rocks. Uh, I don't add a whole lot of ice because uh, by the time I get, get through mine, it's, it's usually melted, so I don't want to dilute it. I probably should only put one cube in here because I normally do two because it didn't have quite enough to do as much as I would have liked. So it's a little more watered down than I would normally uh, do. Okay, yeah. Because... By the way, I will note that... Um, Went to the track a couple weeks ago, and um, my youngest, uh, who has appeared here on the podcast, um, what what uh, Bjorn Bjorn yes he's uh, forgotten his old kid's name yes uh, Bjorn uh, had to have a bourbon at the track yeah, and, and much like know. Francis he ordered neat but you can't get actual neat at the track really they will always put at least one ice cube in. Interesting. Um, some uh, some rule, but the the young uh, young woman behind the bar who served us so ably says that's the rule. I have to put at least one ice cube in. Now, once you get it, you can take it out. And so you know, but he uh, he had a, a couple bourbons. Uh, what do you have? Oh gosh, I've already forgotten. But I think he ordered good stuff though. Uh, he recently brought home uh, Flatboat One Twenty Five. Oh, I've seen that at uh, Liquor Barn or whatever the one is by Sam's Club. One twenty-five. Yes. Wow! It'll take the paint off the walls. Oh, absolutely. Um, I didn't care for it. He liked it a lot. Too medicinal or it's just, just too harsh. So overpowering. So overpowering. Like yeah, proof, yeah. Even with ice, the proof is so overpowering. Yeah, you almost have to put a lot of ice in that and let it melt for you to be able to drink something like that. Yes, yeah, one twenty-five is big. I mean, it just sort of consumed all of the flavor inside right. of it. Well, you know, that's 50% more than a standard bottle. Yeah. A standard bottle is 80 proof, right? Yeah. yeah so, yeah, that's 50% more. So, this, um, the, the Knob Creek, very smooth, especially at nine-year. Um, hint of sweetness. Uh, it, this is interesting because uh, you get both the Kentucky Kiss and the Kentucky Hug. Nice and warm right there. You, you know, you get the nice flavor on the tongue, and then you, which is the Kiss. But then you get it here in the chest, in the stomach, and, and, it, and it hangs around there. So you get a nice long hug, too. Really? Uh, that's one of the reasons why I like this Knob Creek. Uh, it's, it's, it's the standard for many people. I mean, it is. It is, uh, it is, a, it uh, is a phenomenal it's, it's, bourbon. Uh, yeah, it made, made by Bean, which uh, yeah. has... And it's been, not terribly expensive, uh, generally speaking. No, it's, it's it can got, be. It, it can is, be. That's but, correct. Yeah, it, it's, it's, a, a, it's a good bourbon. It is about 28 I don't know because I didn't buy this particular bottle. Well, that's a small size. And it's a small it's a size, size anyway. You're about right. It and Basil Hayden are two. Uh, they're two of the beans. They're usually small batch, premium. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, uh, yeah the, right. I think the basil has started to creep up in price again. Yeah, Hayden, yeah. Basil Hayden usually runs a little bit more. Yeah, now it's, it's, it's finding its way yeah, up as they reach the bottle. Apparently, we talked about it being uh, could being 
worthy of a higher price and they've listened to us and they've started to raise the price. Well, we, so that's on us, folks. Yeah, that's right. We're sorry. But uh, it's well worth the price. It still. is still worth the that's price because right. that basil is, is really good. It's one of my favorites. Yeah. And, and, and this, you know, what you're drinking there is a higher proof, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I think it's only a 90, isn't it? Yeah, I want to say basil is like 84. Yeah, uh, something like that. So, yeah, it's, it's a little bit more. No, this is 100 proof. So, yeah. Well, yeah, I was going to say this. I thought it, I'm yeah, looking at the proof. bottle. Yeah, it's 100 proof. Yeah, and that's, that's, that's a different level. Uh, it's meant yeah. to be. Uh, well, and, you know, that higher proof, uh, partially I think that's related to the fact that it's a nine-year bourbon. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to get, I think, a lower proof on the... the, the the more aged ones. I, it seems like those seem to be a higher proof. Well, they probably start out higher proof when they go in the barrel, and then well, it could I be, think yeah. they decline some as they go. So yeah, if they're, they're trying to hit a target proof, they know where they've got to start when it goes in the barrel. Could be, yeah. I, I, I am still woefully ignorant about some of the, uh, well, the details and the mechanics. That. We need to go on a bourbon tour we somewhere. Do. We do. A distillery tour so that we'll... Oh, uh, in a couple of weeks, on the 13th, I am doing with uh, the, the the daughters, first and second daughter, and Mrs. Robert and I are going to Woodford. Oh, wonderful. And we are doing a, a tour. You'll have and to report back. Yes, yes. I am yes. looking forward Take to notes that. And, and you'll get a lot of this, the, how they, you know, what the target proof is, where they end up. Yeah, I need to ask what a lot of questions. Like where it goes yeah. into the, yeah, it works. Absolutely, into because the, I've not been to Woodford. I've been to Heaven Hill, and I've been to Maker's. Yeah, and they, they, Makers. I tell you what, we did a Christmas one. They do. A they great, do a great. They do a great tour. Oh my gosh, Makers knows how to put on. They a do. Party. And that's that's been their that's been their gift uh, for a long, long time because they are literally out in the middle of nowhere. They are. Yeah, I mean, I mean depending on which way the area, I'm telling you, it's, it's still in the middle, middle of nowhere. nowhere. <laughs> yeah, if you're coming in from Louisville, you're going to end up driving down this one lane road past a bunch of trailers to get there. Now, if you come in from uh, from the south or the east, yeah. It's a little bit more normal roads, but if you're coming in from Louisville from the north, yeah, the most direct route is That's you're getting on this road. It's like well, it's, I feel like banjos are going to start well, playing. It's, yeah, it's it's from it's from Bardstown on on down towards Loretta, which is very small. Yes, on towards between Loretta, it's between Loretta and Lebanon. Lebanon is fairly decent size. It's kind yeah. of seat. If you come in in that way, yeah, it's, it's, it's normal. It, it's very regular normal. roads. But if you're yeah. coming through Loretta, which comes through Bardstown, yes, it's going to be very. Yeah, Small, you feel very, it's like, holy crap, you yeah. feel lost. It, it is a two-lane road, I must say. It is not one lane, but it is very If it's rural. a two-lane road, it's meant for, like, two horses well, passing side it's, by it's side. it's very rural. It's very Because, I mean, rural. it's it's, it's, it's in pretty, I mean, there's no, I mean, the, the particular stretch I'm thinking of, there's no stripes on that road. Oh, anyway. But once you get into that, going back to them to come to think. Yeah, about I mean it's not far from the actual. Yeah, if I remember correctly, the main road is not all that main actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, compared to this segment, yeah, yeah that's correct. Yeah, yes, with, yeah. With main street's no bigger than a driveway. Yeah, yeah, you know you're in a small town. Actually, you know what? Those are my favorite kinds of town. They really are. I mean, I would, uh, I would have no problem living in a small town like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just as long as I have good internet access and yeah. don't have to drive thirty minutes just to get to the gas station, and you know an hour to get to the Kroger's, which is the part of the problem. You know it's hard to find that mix. Yeah, you know, right. small town, but that's, easily accessible there's a, there's an amenities. IG, there's an IGA there in, in Loretta, which is actually the closest, and there's a, a wonderful little restaurant, the Cozy Kettle, uh, there, and which you wouldn't think this town because uh, it's about the size of New Haven where I grew up, thousand people maybe. Uh, it's got a restaurant. Well, you know, a town that size though, they can support a restaurant. That's right. Maybe two. 
Maybe. Mm, you're probably going to support a couple of bars and, <laughs> and right. saloons, well, taverns. Yeah, there's something called. to be said for that. Yes, this is Marion County, and yes, there's plenty of that out that way. So, you know, it's, it just depends on, on, on the actual size and, you know, whether or not it's dry or wet. And Marion County is kind of notorious. It can be. Yes, that's right. Yes, sir. You have to go. Raywick is the notorious era. Yes, area. Raywick. That's a little, yes, fr- that's that's a little further over. Cornbread Mafia that's area. Correct. It's all through there. That's right. That's uh-huh. uh, the yeah the, the dope guys. There's, there's, yes. there's much... I don't know how we got from, from Knob Creek to all of that. but Well, uh, actually, Knob Creek is just across the Rolling Fork River from Nelson County. It's in LaRue County, which is ironically dry. Yes, but that's that's where uh, that that's where uh, John Boone and many others had their grist. It still amazes me. Is there any other state that has wet and dry counties besides us? I believe so. There's got to be. Uh, good I, question. I believe so. That would require um, a little research. Maybe Tennessee, but I mean, I mean, it's got to be southern. I believe Louisiana. Some parishes are wet and some are dry. See, now that seems really odd that's considering the, the yeah. Catholic uh, population. And, well, because well, that's, that's where the divides are. Part uh, because. Uh, Nelson, Marion, Washington counties were all the, what we call the Kentucky Holy Lands, where all the Catholics originally settled. This is before Louisville even was. Right. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, one time Bardstown was the seat of the diocese. That's right. Louisville. That's right, because there wasn't nobody else, but all the Catholics <laughs> came down and they were there. However, on the other side of the river was LaRue County. And while the Catholics would populate just on the other side, by the time you got very far, that's where the non-Catholics went. And in these days, in the 1870s and 1800s, the two sh- the twain shall not together. meet yeah, because I mean, we, 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 we will be persecuted yeah. by them from over yeah. there. I mean, uh, that, that's, that was, you know, that's not one, there's of. a part of Louisville called Germantown. That's right. And that's where they settled, and that and was... Paris Town as well, which is just over the way. It's yeah. just on the other, other block where the French immigrants, immigrants yeah. would go. And, that, and they were the... Catholic, German, and French immigrants. That's correct. Which, well, ironically, my, they were still against each other. Well, you know, my original parish was St. Paul's. Yeah. St. Paul's grew out of that French and German split uh-huh. uh, in the late 1800s. Uh, you know, from because it was St. Anthony's up on the hill. The the the, um, uh, the cemetery is still up there and still called St. Anthony's. But you know, when everything split, you know, it just, it split along those ethnic. We would call them ethnic then, but really it's just national divides. Nationalistic, but religion was kind of folded into that, too. I mean, uh, there was... A, well, I mean, they were still German Catholics. So exactly, they, yeah. If that's so, just... Louisville is, is highly, I don't want to say predominantly, but highly Catholic. And yet, they were still not immune to persecution. No, I'm just, but I'm talking about my split. Or my, my split, but the split. The, the, the parish. Yeah, obviously it's, it's not really religious split. divides, but it's... Yeah. You know, it's going to be language and cultural divides. That's right. We don't want them French-speaking folks with us. We're Germans. Well, you know, we're talking Germans. about it happened after the uh, the the German-French war. war. Yeah, Fra- Franco-Prussian War, yes. Okay. yes. Um, we, yeah. so, As if we didn't like each other before, we really we don't, don't like each other. Right. Yet. So, yeah, so. even though none of those people fought in it, but, you know, the the ancestral home uh, well, that's is a big deal. Uh, yeah, prejudice, unfortunately, still, still reigns. Uh, within us. Yes. All right. So I think that was a good uh, rest. We rested our arms. Now it's time to start taking some serious swings at the John Stuart Mill pinata. Um, well, you know, hey, uh, uh, go ahead. Right again, uh, the more I look, the more I'm like, well, that's a horrible idea. Well, that's a horrible idea. That's Which horrible ideas are horrible? So, I mean, yeah. let's get, because we talk, we've talked very generalities about why we, yeah, we want to swing at his pinata. What are the bad ideas? Well, let's talk about to remember, he ended up as a member of parliament. Right, so yes. he got to like advocate for this crap, but he did advocate for some good things. 
Absolutely. That's one of the things that you read here. In many, you know, the tyranny of the majority, tyranny of political rulers, uh, the individual's rights and liberties that must have a system of, const of constitutional... But speak out against that, but checks. at the same time, try to make the government more powerful. Well, you see, but that, and I think a lot of that goes back to where he's coming from here. He's and, seeing, yeah, he's seeing and, it, and, and, right. He's a, he's a, he's a product of his time of Britain is not just stable, but the most powerful entity in the world. Right, and also and therefore and remember, must use that power for something he thinks is a good thing. Well, everybody who's, but to be fair, and again, uh, not to, not that I'm a pro Mills guy necessarily. But what I'm saying is that he comes from a time when societal influence is stronger than governmental influence. That's creepy. And That's also, key. everybody who has power wants to use it for whatever they think is good. I mean, that's not just... Right, I mean, yeah, because we're in the, even Thanos thought he was doing something good. Exactly. Very well put, sir. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, nobody wakes up and says, I'm going to be evil today. I'm, they wake up thinking, I'm saving the world. Right. I'm saving Germany. I'm saving the universe. Exactly. Exactly. But, I, you know, for a libertarian, he's like, oh, let's do income tax. Let's do inheritance tax. Right. Like I said, he's, he's very least, much at odds. And then restrict what they would call back then sumptuary consumption. What we would call today conspicuous consumption. Right. Um, and, and to me, that's like, how can you be a libertarian and talk about limiting what people can buy? If right. they have the money, let them freaking buy it. Well, yeah, see, that that's, we, he comes we, from a different place. Right. I that's mean, we've come from an era where, or at least from my perspective, if Larry Ellison buys a 200-foot yacht, why does that hurt me? Whereas other people are, it's he could be using his money for something good. Well, but he spent a ton of money. Put it out in the economy and he people will have jobs. He didn't stuff it under his mattress. That's right. right, he didn't blow he didn't spend it on hookers and blow. Hookers and blow. Well, hookers you know, but blow. you know, there are those that say sex workers have to have to have a good living too. So I'm not kidding with that. I, I just gotta throw this in. Mrs. Martin hates it that I have taken the uh Burl Ives song Silver and Gold. You yeah, remember it from, Hookers and Blow. Hookers yeah. and Blow. Uh, from, oh. from Rudolph. You remember yeah, Rudolph? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Absolutely. I changed all the lyrics to be hookers and blow. And she hates that. And she hates it. She says, I can't understand why. Christmas. I was going to say, yes, I knew where this was going. I could have written that line. Yes. Uh, you're exactly right. Uh, but one of the things you have to remember here, because it's so much, that's, in that area, you're absolutely right, of course, but Mill was focused on many other things because his liberty, this is not an era of civil rights, it's almost such things are almost completely curtailed. Right. That's know. where he's really putting his focus. That's I think the gasoline that's driving him. He sees this great class uh, uh, differenti differentiation. You know this this terrible class separation, which is ironic in the age of colonialism in Britain. Right. Mind well, you. that's the, yeah. I was just about to say that's why he was so much radical. Is that what do you mean? Well, everybody has basic human rights. But do they see? This is the thing. And this is where I go back to where these guys are inconsistent at best. So mm -hmm. he's all for ending slavery Absolutely. in the U.S. Now, granted, yeah. you know the slave trade has stopped, and slavery of right. Africans in England, yes. we're done there. Yes. Right. I mean, However, slavery of Africans in Africa, well, you know, maybe we're okay with that. Slavery of Indians in India, yeah, maybe we're okay with that. Well, because it's not called slavery; it's called colonialism. 
Exactly. Yeah, which, right. which is kind of my point. You know, you're, he's looking at things uh, through a little bit of rose-colored glasses, uh, in a way. You know, the things that I can see personally, yeah, okay, I'm against that. And obviously with slavery in the U.S., that's a very much a, an in-their-face in thing because, you know, there's we've started to have closer ties with England at this point. We're still not... Well, uh, the buddies that we've become because, well, you know... It's also, in, in, in the United States, it's a national crisis And it is life. a national crisis. Because he dies, you know, uh, what, eight years after the Civil War ends. Yeah. So most of his ascendancy time is in the four, 1840s and 50s, which it is, it's being screamed on the world stage about this issue. And, and of course, it reaches well, the, the world point. stage is, you know, uh, Europe. <coughs> yes, exactly. Because, I mean, again... Colonialism in Africa and in India and China and in the southeast, southeast. Yeah, I mean, oh, he never called for like divesting the empire of his right. colony. He did, oh, oh no, no, no. Well, because those people weren't enslaved. See, he's well, some, yeah, and see, you know, yes, but from but, their end, they've felt it. Anyway. Well, that's correct because they, they and this were, is the, the these they the were blinders. not institutionalized in that. But nevertheless, well, they it were, wasn't institutionalized in the sense that we are buying and selling literally, literally putting people on a block. Well, that's correct, but it was institutionalized. Well, that's slavery. what I think. It's, I think it's worth. Well, I think that there's a, there's a there's a differentiation here that we should make on that because. In many respects, what he is avoiding talking about is perhaps more, I don't want to say it's more insidious, I don't want to put an adversary relationship between colonialism and the uh, institution of slavery as seen in the United States, for example. Nevertheless, both are heinous. And Mill, for as much of a forward thinker as he was, uh, didn't really... He didn't, there was only so far that he went. Maybe he just didn't get around to well, it. I don't it was know. a product of his age as that's, well. Uh, that's kind of where I want to... Right. As in, in as much as he is driving as a thought leader of his time, yeah. he's also soaking up ideas from other people, and he's incorporating their mistakes and bad ideas into his bad ideas. He's being influenced by Malthus. He's being influenced by Marx, who are contemporaries. Um and, well, he's, and he's, he's, he's taking their goo and mixing it into his goo and coming up with really horrible ideas. Well, I, again, this is where I want to go with what are the horrible ideas. Because you know, one of the things that I see is, is very much a, whether you call it naive, whether you call it uh, wanting to have your, your own your cake and eat it too. Because you know, he, he, uh, Bentham is very much a all pleasures are equal. All goods are equal. Yeah, right? and that which is the pure, probably the purest form of utilitarianism in that sense is yeah, that right. you know whatever is whatever I think is good is good and you know that's fine. Whatever you know the whatever means it's a very self centered are justified. Of, yes, yeah, and, it, it's and the ends justify the means is at the heart of utilitarianism when you get when you boil it down to that. Yeah, right. But he takes this stuff I think in a very elitist uh, uh, take, which is my critic of the Enlightenment philosophers is that they're elitist snobs. And I think he is too because he, he is very much for the higher pleasures. In other words, the very snooty, intellectual, and uh, uh, moral pleasures yeah. in that sense yeah. as opposed to the physical forms of what he calls the lower. Those are bad. Which is very much a, a Victorian yeah, idea even like, though he's, it's right, like that. It's like he, he, he's not Victorian. Hey John Stewart Bill, it's okay. Let me sit down and drink a beer. 
And that's my pleasure. And then, yes, if you want to read a Victorian novel and that's your pleasure, I'm fine with that. Right. Or be like us. Do both. Yeah. I mean, he wanted to be this egalitarian, but at the same time... He's a snob about it. My pleasures are better than yours. Exactly. And that's a problem I have with the... The Enlightenment philosophers. Yeah. yeah. You know, they're all very much for these these ideals and principles that we talk about. Yeah. But only for the right people. Yeah. You know, yeah. and again, you know, bring up Malthus. Of course, Malthus' thing is population. Oh, there's going to be too many people and it's going to destroy everything. Well, of course, Malthus has been born out to be completely wrong. That's correct. You know, population keeps growing, yet our production of food isn't declining. Mm-hmm. And... You know, we've seen essentially, people don't accept this, but yes, Marx is completely wrong, guys. Right. Yeah, he's totally Marx is a fantasy. Things are worth what people are willing to pay for them, not what you think they're worth because of the work that went into them. Right. There, there should be an element of that, yes. Yeah. But on the other hand, if you're producing something that nobody wants... No matter how much effort you put into it, it's nobody's worth buy it. nothing. Right. Right. And you and and that's the problem with Marx is that they is that he he, want, he ultimately the only way Marx works is forcing not just mediocrity but but bad stuff you know? yeah not I don't say well, worthlessness but yeah. stuff that nobody wants on everyone just yeah. because somebody produced it it's like well why don't you produce something that somebody wants well it's because I want to produce this or this is the lowest common denominator that I can produce. In the, in the largest numbers, yeah. which means it's crap. It's a, it's a fantasy mm-hmm. to think that all work is equal. Correct. No, it isn't. All, right, because the, the presumption is that... Well, compared, that to its, compared to itself, but when you're taking something teleological, in other words, you're taking it to its purpose, to its right. end, then that's where value is associated with something. But digging a hole might take six hours, and doing heart surgery might take six hours. But that effort is not equivalent. And that was Marx's thing. Because teleologically, they're very different things. Yes. Well, right, because the purpose... The purpose. You might need to dig that hole to make a well to provide the water that is necessary for A, B, C, and D so that you are able... To do the heart surgery. Right. But lots but, of people have the skills to dig a hole. Exactly. Not very many people have the skills to perform heart surgery. But that, yeah, and that, but that doesn't mean necessarily that just because you have lower amount of skills, you should make nothing. Because there, there is a dignity in work in and of itself. Yes. That is yes. correct, yeah. But, but they're not equivalent. But it's not equivalent. Can you shut the door? Because obviously we don't want to uh, uh, bother now so, that Bosco the dog has made his appearance. We'll, so uh, we didn't really talk a huge ton here, though, about the actual flaws in utilitarianism. So I wanted to go back to Francis on that, though. Well, uh, I mean, we, we've been swinging, I've been swinging a pretty heavy axe handle. Well, that's why well. I wanted to get to the specifics. Yeah. What are the bad ideas? Yes, yes. And again, Malthus' bad idea, it's like that's not been borne out to be accurate, you know. You came up with this idea that everyone's going to die unless we curb the number of poor Irish people, which is it's it was ethnic and racist it's, it's, because yeah. it was, it was Catholic. Was one of the now, you know, we don't want all them Catholics over there in Ireland. They're going to make all of us uh, Anglican starve. Mm-hmm. You know, it, okay, 
all this year wrong. That's a bad well, idea. Yeah, eugenics comes from that. Margaret Sanger comes from that. It's all uh, uh, Hitler comes from that, which I hate to I hate to go there because that's kind of like meant to be like when you end things up. But the harm principle is something that's extremely important here because I think this is the one piece of his philosophy that is everywhere in our modern day society. And I want us to kind of pick this apart if we can as we with our, what little time we have left here. Uh, and his harm principle is such as the only purpose for which power can be rightfully exercised over any member of a civilized community, that's either societal or political or whatever you want to call it, against his will is to prevent harm to others. In other words, anything goes that you want to do unless it harms others. But then, that principle in itself is 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 not well defined because it sounds like a great idea. Well, it sounds like a great idea. People, harm, people, harm is nebulous. Harm can be whatever I decide it is. Well, and right. therein lies the issue here. Because right, you've made a microaggression against me. Yeah, you didn't use my pronouns, therefore that's a harm. I'm harmed. Yeah. But are you really? Yeah. I mean... Well, are you feelings... harmed to the point where reparations of some sort are required? Well, some people would say well, that. that's that's what I'm, that's yeah. what I'm talking or, about here. Alter... That's subjective too, right? Yes. Beyond reparations, I mean, he would talk about an altering society right. to prevent that harm. It's like, but once you start doing that, then who are you not harming the others? Then you are not going against the very principle of liberty that you are right. espousing, right? You're because the you're... only method to prevent this sort of thing here, either socially. Or politically, are laws or codes of conduct right. or right. something agreed upon by the majority, which goes back again to that very thing. All the thing he cautions against the tyranny of the majority. Well, ultimately, that's where this ends. Is the, the whoever has the greatest number has the power. Well, but see, and and maybe this is to, the problem with, with philosophy in general. As much as I love philosophy, and that is this, is that. They operate in a vacuum in their ideas. Everything is static. It has to be. Well, not, no, not even, I don't even think it's, it's that so much, but they are presuming things that are not demonstrable in the real world and are utterly silly as a presumption for your foundation. Yes. That is that everybody will act in everybody's best interest. Well, and so many of the people that we have looked at and discussed, and especially Mill... Their milieu is so limited. Well, we they, they, they see only things from the outside. They didn't live it. Yeah. So they think they have true. a prescription, but it's like, is that prescription a paternalistic solution? But you, honestly, you didn't live it. You don't know what their dreams are. You don't know what that Yorkshire coal miner's dreams are. Because Mill was very much went into what you just said. About that person, that this, individual person, very have, have must experience. must have the ability to do that, and yet ironically, he does so in a vacuum, like you're saying. Yeah. So, you know, part of the problem with you know, a lot of the, the philosophers we've talked about, they are social as well as political philosophers, because uh, it's really hard to to break the two apart. Because um, ultimately, you have to have a way to guarantee your well, and, social philosophy. And he was a little bit of everything, because he right. was an economist, but, philosopher, yeah, yeah, politician. Yeah, yeah. He, was, he was one of the original polymaths. Yeah, I mean, yeah. He was, he was highly intellectual. Well, His father's. Aquinas was the original, probably. Well, well, well one yeah, of the original. Yeah, but anyway. But he's absolutely that. And, and that's one of the reasons his father did what he did to him, is because he recognized early on this kid is, is a prodigy. Yeah, but that's, that's 
That has that's not what I'm talking about though. Yeah. Part of the problem with all of this, with all of these philosophers, and it's it's inherent, I think, in our own discussions and our predilections, even Martin's leave me the hell alone and get off my grass, is this. It requires a strong state to guarantee whatever it, it, your preference is. That's the dichotomy. And I think that, you know, even in our own discussions, our own preferences, we don't realize that. But it's true. To enable Martin to be able to, to be left alone requires somebody to hold everybody else at bay. Because Martin's too busy doing whatever. Because otherwise, he's going to have to be on his own walls shooting people as they come out of his grass. And what's the point in that? I mean, I still have to work. Right, and you still have to work. I still have to work, so I don't. I don't have time. You don't have to time to do that. So patrol my yard with a shotgun. Right, and you know now that Mrs. Martin works out of the house as well all the time with you, she can't do it. Yeah. So, I can turn it over to Bjorn, but I mean he's got class. He's got. I mean, ultimately he's, he's got to. He's, he's got to go do it. it. But but ultimately he's going to be moving out. God willing, at some point, right? Someday. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, so. Hopefully not to Japan like he wants. But. Well, we'll see. I mean, he'll probably come home, but, you know. But the point is, though, every system, whether it's Marx, Mills, or an anarchist, ironically enough, requires a power strong enough to impose that system on anybody who doesn't want it. Yeah, I mean, to reach a Lockean or Hume state, you still have to have a Hobbesian Exactly, Leviathan. Leviathan. Because what does the purpose of government become? Where, you know, the three of us would say government exists to protect the liberties of the citizenry, and particularly the minority. You know, Mill would have said that very differently. He would have thought government exists. Government exists to level things. That's that, right. That whole notion of, and again, when I talk about these well, bad ideas of Well, it goes back to, and I, think, I don't want to lose this because you, you, you touched on this. The reason that Mill would never agree with anything we're saying is because he is believing, and it's a very good belief actually, that every individual has the right and the ability to decide for themselves in harmony with everyone else. Well... But I, think, but I think he's but presuming, though, because, yeah. again, there's a huge presumption that, there. Yeah, there's a huge presumption. First, because, you know, when we talk about the, the, the higher pleasures and the lower pleasures, he thinks everyone will always decide for the higher pleasures once they have uh, experienced both. Because his thing is basically those, those, those little people, the poor people, the ones we don't want to associate with, they've not been able to experience the higher pleasures. Right. Therefore, that's why they choose the sensual pleasures. Yeah. Now he was an advocate of, of universal education, which is very good. Which right. which is great. But on the other hand, though, I think he, he he he's unable to recognize that some people are just going to choose different things than you do. Yeah. You Not everybody do. wants to read philosophy. You know, we like it, but we also realize, well, yeah, we like to sit back and drink a beer or a bourbon and, and enjoy. Uh, you know the finer things, because the finer things in life are not always intellectual, right. and for him they are. Yeah, that's right. He was very egalitarian and took great pride in such being so, but didn't recognize that egalitarianism. It's kind of like Bella Oxford. Yeah, but I got to be in unity. Exactly. Well, exactly. This is the. He's still very much an Enlightenment 
kind of thinker yeah, in the sense that everybody thinks the way I do or should. That's exactly kind of underneath. And what's that, that is and really, only the, really the danger, right? And only the right kind of people, and by the right kind of people, I mean the ones who think like I do, yeah. are the ones who should be running things. And things like that. This is the problem. And, and that's we all think that this in many ways. Forward today in our modern society. And that's, yeah, well, no the only reason, reason this didn't work is because the right people haven't tried it. But you know what? We still say this. the left, the right, the middle, right. the non aligned, we still all think this. This is part and parcel of our fallen nature in that we all think that, you know, if everybody just believed the way we do, Everything would work out. Yeah. Well, it's, it's it, it is a function of cognitive bias in many ways. Yeah. Yep. yep. Very much yep. so. Yep. Uh, excuse me. Uh, confirmation bias. Got uh, well, same thing. I mean, similar, similar things. Yeah, right. yeah, but yeah. in many respects, it's confirmation bias because we're surrounding ourselves only by the things that work with the way we think like that, and therefore we cannot. And here, I think is the is the flaw with his argument. Just to boil it down, there's a lack. Even though he attempts it, I think there is a still a lack of empathy. For the other, yes, he 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 would he would disagree. He says he very much has it. He thinks that's a linchpin in many respects of what he's doing here. But his applications show very clearly that it's only those it, it, that that is not a unit. He that, defines absolute. He still right. defines a, a a subgroup of the of the larger group as those. Well, because he defines when he talks about the greatest good, he has a very narrow definition of it. That's right. And, you know, it sounds like, well, that's got to be wrong, Robert, because it doesn't say the greatest good for the greatest number. But yes, but he's defining what the greatest good is, you know, which is definitely not the the physical pleasures, the sensual. He's not a sensualist in, in his philosophy in that sense, except that he takes pleasure in what is the intellectual good, the arts, literature, what have which is great. Those are all good things. Don't get me wrong. But, to but say he, they're the only good things. But, but, he, good but state he's not saying they're the only good goods. Thing. Yes, he's saying that those are always better than not the other he's things. He's creating a hierarchical relationship with good. Yes, and that's problematic because once you start saying that this pleasure is better, categorically and fundamentally, you have to. It all leads back to the state has got to impose that. Yeah, right. And then well, you, and you have to find a forcible way to discourage. The other pleasures. Exactly. Well, it's, 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 that's it's, what the state is for. That's right. To it's discourage the other pleasures. It's ultimately an us versus them. In many respects, it's kind of racist. Certainly classist. It's, I think classist is He's not thinking that way, yeah. although it, it could be interpreted yeah. that way at times. He may not think Culturally he's thinking so. that way, but I think he ultimately he has to be. Well, that's right. Because it's just a reality, it, still, unfortunately, that... The those who are at the lower end of, of the economic spectrum tend to be the lesser educated. Yeah. Not always, because you've got a lot of people who who have educated themselves into poverty. Uh, but you have a lot of people who, generally speaking, the the less you make, the the less your education. At least in the West, you know that that's true mm-hmm. in, for yeah. the most part. Um, you tend to be more about the the uh, physical pleasures. You know the the you know you tend to be oddly enough the the poorer you are, the fatter you are. Uh, you don't have the money to buy the, the food that is uh, the best things you could eat. Not necessarily the hot the goods like, you know, steaks and oysters. And, you know, in the modern times. times. It it's in modern times, yes. Say in the Middle Ages. Which well, well that's I because... Mean, but even, even the, the blue-collar worker is more sedentary than anybody was before. Right. Even Yes, because... Even Bill for Mill's time. Yeah. Right. Because you don't have to, you know... 
physically chop down trees with an axe to get your lumber. Now, it's don't get me wrong. I couldn't do that be a lumberjack and you know even though I'm, you know, they're using chainsaws and and mechanical mechanical tools. They're a lumberjack and they're okay. And they're okay. It's far less taxing physically than it was 100 years ago. Yeah. You don't have one huge saw that you got two guys pushing back and forth to cut down a tree. You know, it takes all day to do one tree. Now you're doing it wholesale. You're industrialized. Uh, you know, building a car 150 years ago, they're doing it by hand. 125 years ago, you're getting the, uh, the, the first inklings of a uh, 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 assembly line. Assembly line. Yeah, yeah. Specialization of, hey, your job is to bolt on the shocks. Exactly. Or, you know, your, your job is to put the, the, the bolt in. This guy's job is to, to actually it's tighten tight, it up. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, um, so, yeah, it's still very manual in, in, in many ways. But, you know, nowadays, you know, you're right. Blue-collar workers, they tend to stand in one place and do one thing, like on an assembly line. Or they're doing things that are very specialized, um, that are they're manual but yeah. with time-saving and strength-saving tools. It's interesting how much the world changed from Mill's time to ours and how his philosophy, which was thought to be universal, so much breaks down in the light of advanced technology and societal... Well, and, and as Robert mentioned, our, our educational goals so diverged because of specialization. Again, you could go incredibly in debt and be... No well off, not not very well off at all. Yeah, and be very poor, but be very highly educated. Right. Well, well, well I don't know. Some of these degrees that you can get nowadays, I don't know. I call them very educated. You got the sheepskin, but I don't know how educated you really are. Well, you you're you're educated in puffery, basically. Yes. Uh, you, yeah, you have a credential. That doesn't mean you know anything. Right. While at the same time, you can be fairly financially successful. Not quote uneducated, but but your education is very educated. Is very specific in a particular right. trade, right? And that's to, and he would nothing. probably look down on right. that kind of person because yet, they're not going to be into reading philosophy and going to. He would, to, nevertheless. Both are by any stretch of imagination. Those who are successful are educated, whether yeah. that be traditionally or in, untraditionally. Right. Whether yes. you're, you're educated in chemistry or you're educated in how to assemble and install and maintain an HVAC system. That's right. You are both still are very valid and both can both lead require, to success. In other words, but it's a different type they of They would education. be skilled labor in some fashion. Yeah. Whereas the unskilled labor, that's where you run into the issue. And well, we don't really have a whole lot of unskilled labor that is required in this country anymore. Because even ditch digging is not really you. St- you got you don't dig that with a shovel anymore. You got to know how to run that machine. You got to know how to run that machine. Well, and therein lies, of course. And you got to know how to do other things with that machine. Well, it's well, not just digging ditches. Ultimately, though, you have to have some form of unskilled labor for society to exist because there's. I don't. I think. Okay. Yes. Uh, so because that's. I think pushing that number a of unskilled laborer. That's a fairly constant number. Uh, the there's number? a range, uh, but well, it's I mean, never going to go below a certain number. Today, maybe, but of course, in his time, it's, it's much it's larger. It's enormous. In yeah. fact, it's the bulk. So you're right. So yeah, there is unskilled labor. So uh, people who are cleaning up after uh, 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 guests in a hotel, yeah. that's relatively unskilled labor. It doesn't take much to teach that in that sense. Okay. Um, you know, being a uh, a janitor, uh, 
custodial engineer, however you want to yeah. put it. Yeah. There's that. Although when you get into the higher end places, stuff, and, and even in that, you have to have some uh, knowledge of like retail. Work, retail work is fairly easy. It, it is unskilled. It, 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 it is unskilled as a general rule. As a general rule, when you're a checker, now retail is a very skilled thing in the sense you got to know your products. That's correct. That's so correct. like if you're working the floor at um, at J.C. Penney's and you're just ringing people up who bring their product, yeah, okay, or at Kroger's, or yeah, that's relatively unskilled. But a sales position is actually a very skilled, very much so uh, position. Right. Uh, so which can still be retail because if you work at Marks and Spencer uh, in the jewelry department, you probably are very skilled. Uh, well, I mean, uh, that retail can be car sales as well. It you're, can. You're still work, it means you're working directly with the public. And that's actually a very skilled thing because you got to know so. your products. Well, you, you really you gotta, to really move cars. Yeah, you, you, gotta, you will not. You got to be able to build trust with people and know the product that you're selling. Right. Well, and to be a successful if, car, and salesman. you will be washed out very, very quickly if you are not performing. It's yeah. a highly performance-based yeah. industry. Yeah. There's my point is there's lots of that stuff out there, but it's very different than what mill would have seen at his time. Yeah. He's not that, I mean, he's born during, you know, Napoleon is still around when he's born. Uh, Wellington is famous for saying about his uh, soldiers, gin is the spirit of their patriotism. And so much of that is exactly true during Mill's lifetime. Because you're talking about the rise of industry during yeah. the time of yeah. his life. He's, and they were, it was, it was mm-hmm. almost a monster that chewed people up and spit them out. Uh, they, uh, yeah, it certainly there were no a, laws against so much. Yeah, and yeah. Abuse a Yorkshire labor was, was not oh, a was happy awful. existence. So, That's right. I feel like we, we've not... I feel I'm, like I'm we've let, like, we let Mill off the hook here too much. Yeah, I feel like we have not really enunciated... We're making a lot of why excuses we for think, him. Well, because he did have a lot of good stuff to say. See, that's it. But He's complicated. Why is it that he, his ideas are so bad beyond... So I think for Martin, it seems to be... Because they lead to, he wants to use government power to do things. That's but, yeah, big part of it. Okay, but honestly, and yeah, I'm not trying to let him off the hook. Because for me, utilitarianism is the part that I I, yeah. I have the biggest problem with. Yeah. Because of where that ultimately leads. Yes, I understand that he wants to say, uh, you cannot do harm to do good. Which is a very Catholic principle. Yeah, we you cannot do evil in order to, to do good. Sure. Your motives to do good have to also be pure. Um, you know, it, it's a very Vorlon way of looking at things. That's right. He, he uh, does. He takes motivation completely out of the equation, which you, you know that's a huge does he flaw in the middle. I well, I think it's neutral towards that. That's correct. I, I don't. Yeah, I don't know that he necessarily takes motivation out of it because uh, I guess in a way he does because that whole part though about just, not harming one another, I, I guess the definition there, it, for me the problem is nobody pays any attention to that when you start talking about doing the greatest good. aspect, you're exactly right. Uh, but also, those who are doing what they think to be the greatest are the ones who get to define the harm. Yes. That's problematic. Yeah, that's correct. Because but also, it's also problematic though to let those who are being harmed be the ones who solely get to define it because that's when we get the microaggression yeah. kind of idea. Yeah. And that's... That's bad too because you know you can just be a whiny bitch, and if you get to define harm because you're a whiny bitch, and I'm not saying everybody who does, I'm not saying everybody. Well, but it's like letting the Karens run the world. Exactly. Yeah, it's letting the it Karens just, run the world. It just feels like again that we use that word naive. There's, it just feels like at the center of everything he's doing, there's a naivete 
that everyone would act with good intentions. Well, that, well, that is that is explicitly part of the doctrine. He, he makes no bones about that. So he believes wrong. we're it's so wrong. But then again, it sounds so good that everybody is smart enough to figure stuff well, out. Yeah, Marxism sounds really good yeah. when you describe it in the sense that everybody basically gets whatever they want. Because you know, because we're all working for one another to make sure everybody—that's all great, but that's not humanity, and no. it's impossible in reality. Because again, it gets back to the doctor. If it takes ten years to become a doctor and become the, the best at what he is, how do you not reward him with anything better than well, you know, you're going to make thirty thousand dollars a year because that's the minimum that everybody—that's what everybody makes. That's what everybody. Well, again, it, there's a naivete about the human character. Yes. We are fallen creatures, and if you don't proceed from that, <coughs> pardon me, from that starting point, everything you do is a house. Well, of yeah, because his solution is people are fallen because he doesn't ignore that, but government won't be, and that's but that's part of it because well, they're in course it is run by people. people. That's exactly right. There's yeah. the naivete I think you're trying you're trying to hit on this because sooner or later, when you take into account. The fact that human beings, by their nature, are going to have conflict, conflicting issues on a regular basis. His solution is greatest good, smallest harm. That still implies that some will be harmed. Yes, when you're which is in the macro, I, which is very problematic because I th- who that defines it, harm? Who defines how much is too much? Because by using his theory, it, to use the words of Jean Luc Picard, it's a failure of imagination. Because you never go all the way to make the perfect system, as close as you make it, where everybody gets served and somebody gets right, something. But there's that, that the naivete about what is the perfect system. No, yes, Your sir. definition of perfect is different from mine. Well, even if you take if you go back to the, the greatest good for the greatest number, how do you define what the greatest good is? Yeah. Yeah, or, or what's what's your greatest number? Fifty one percent? Exactly. You know, what Again. about the minority? What about those who, who those who are disenfranchised, etc., yeah. etc.? Et That's one of the things that we as a society, I think, have tried to adapt out of him, thinking, yeah. no, wait a minute, you can't, no child left behind, etc., whatever you want to call it. We want to make sure that everybody gets served. But there's a... And his <clears throat> philosophy stops short of that. Yeah, there's a distinctly American, as opposed to British, you know, concept about government of... You know, a democracy is the wolves deciding what's for lunch. The wolves and the rabbit. Right, the wolves and the rabbit, or the wolves and the sheep. You know, the democracy is the wolves voting for what's for lunch, but a republic is the sheep get a say. <laughs> well, the, or the rabbit gets a the rabbit has a gun. Exactly. You know, and that's that's a very American concept that's not in his thinking as a Brit. Well, yeah. Because, so what? I mean, as long as we only eat one sheep and not all the sheep, we limited the harm. Well, and yeah. the wolves prospered. Right. Uh, but and, what about the harm? And the wolves way sheep? outnumber the sheep. Yeah. Well, what about this? So that's that's really, because we, obviously we always think, well, the wolves are the bad guys, the sheep are the good guys, in that sense. But really, it, it's more of, that's when a hundred sheep say, well, you know what? Let's eat the wolf. Yeah. We think, oh, well, that's a good thing because, you know, wolves are a danger. So we've eliminated a danger, but we've harmed the wolf in doing it. Well, when you start applying that to people, 
that's a problem because think about today's uh, political culture. You know, everybody wants to say, well, we are the hundred sheep and those guys are, that's the wolf that needs to be eliminated. That's correct. Yeah. And so therefore that would be the greatest good. But that implies that you, we no longer have the ability to, to say what is a common good for everybody. Yeah. And Mill was predates all that because that philosophy, that's World War One, folks. We talked about yeah. that many, many times. The, yeah. the enemy is the devil and must be destroyed. They must be wiped from the face of the planet. That's something that Mill would, would never conceive of that as a, as a way of living. He would say, you know, yeah, you may not be the best. There may be winners and losers, but you're still alive. You can still work on something else. Not in this new philosophy, this disquieting escalation of the way uh, we deal with our enemies. Well, in, in many, I don't know. It, a lot of what Mills has to say about liberty and rights, I think, is very good. Yes. It's, it's very, and it, it really is the basis for a lot of what we understand Absolutely. as what is yeah. right and yeah. good. Yeah, and he steals a lot from Voltaire. I didn't say that a lot, but he does, there's, there's a, there's a, Definitely. Well, everybody stands on the shoulders of giants. Well, that's correct. I mean, he's not, you know, Even if I don't agree with all the giants. I mean, well, you know. that's right. Yeah, because that's, uh, uh, mm-hmm. there, there are a lot of those folks that go into, yeah. like say, he steals from David Hume. He steals from Jeremy Bentham. There's a lot of folks that kind of are the roots. I think steals is just a bad way to put it. Well, that's true. Because uh, that's implying yeah. you know, your stands on. Yeah. There is a time, I mean, a, you know, a thread that would go from, yeah. you know, Hobbes, Locke, Hume, like we've done. Right. To Bentham, to him, right. But so, the the problem with I, I I guess the bad ideas are this, at least for me, is the majority gets to decide what the greatest good is and what the minimal harm is. Yeah. And those that are in the minority don't. Mm-hmm. Even though he, on the other hand, he's all the, all this about you know protecting uh, free speech. He's very big in that. That's right. Yeah. Never silent speech. Uh, so he's also at odds with modern uh, uh, liberals, which is very interesting. Yeah. Uh, even we modern know, conservatives. He sees no harm in that. In fact, it's, it's an absolute good for him. Yes. That's that's very American, even though he's Brit. Yeah. But he's also at a time where, you know, uh, in many ways he's the radical. So, of course, you don't want to silence the, the Right. He would be the, he's the, on the outside looking in. Right. Uh, but, so, in many ways, those are great ideas. I think I do agree with Martin in that that one of his big problems is that he wants to use the power of government to apply that greatest good, and that's where we start getting into problems. Yeah, because he doesn't he knows not what he does to go biblical on you. That's I don't think he realizes just exactly the potential for power that the government absolutely has, which is ironically so in the in because he's living. Well, he's pre Lord Acton too. Yes, he is. So he's, he's not yet heard that. But yet Britain dominates the world at this point. So he is at the apex, societally speaking. You'd Which, of course, implies, you know, of course, well, we are right and good because we are at the top. Yeah. It, it's very much an elitist uh, point of view. Well, speaking. Darwinism, it, it, societal Darwinism is, a, yeah. is an elitist yeah. point Absolutely. of view. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so we're going to have another opportunity to get our axe handles out of the bag and go after him yeah, in our next episode. Yep. So I guess Francis, is that do you have yeah. anything to wrap up? No, I, I think we I think we we worked with this very very well. In many respects, we're gonna this is kind of we're gonna continue this discussion next episode. Well, it's gonna be interesting because it's code of honor, which I know this is your job to say it's code of honor. But you know, normally we do code of honor and we say talk about quotes that we like, 
And there is a lot in Mills to say that we like, but I feel like if we're going to really do our dislike of Mills, we have to pick quotes we don't like and why we don't like it. And my job is going to be really difficult to come up with one quote that epitomizes why I don't like it. So, I don't know. This right. is I mean, we decided to pick quotes that we love about, about yeah. him. That I mean, there's so much like. here that you could pull out that you like, but at the same time, you're separating a lot of that from the context of his philosophy behind those quotes. Sometimes. 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 Not always. Because so be still, still complicated. Because I think he holds two philosophical ideas that are at opposition, which is the, the his ideas on liberty and his ideas on utilitarianism. They are, in my opinion, they are in opposition in reality. Yeah. Philosophically, maybe they go hand in hand. Well, he does a very, you know, they're, but he's, he stitches them together almost as if they're, they're in this, you know, interchangeable sure. with each other. In an ideal world, they would be. But in a practical world, they are in opposition. Like I said, the thing he forgets is people suck. Yeah. Very (laughs) direct, succinct. Well, because to him and the people that he he deals with, they don't. It's part of the problem with the the, the Enlightenment philosophers. He's living in a bubble. Right. They they have lived in a bubble, and that's part of the problem with philosophers of, of this age, is that they're part of an intellectual establishment, whether they're on the ins or the outs. I mean, Nietzsche's probably the, the best example of somebody who's on the outs and never gets on the in. Uh, so therefore, I think that's why he's so critical of a lot of things, why he yeah. you know, comes across the way he does. But somebody like Mills and all, you know, all the way going back to Voltaire, they're on the inside. And again, Mills enough of a star, enough of like a, the equivalent of a rock star, he ends up in Parliament. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, he and Voltaire both had that same, you know, charisma about them. Yeah. And they spoke so well and wrote so well that, of course, you want him at your dinner parties. <clears throat> exactly. And so that, that puts you in a very rarefied air kind of bubble. Yes, yes very much so. As opposed to somebody who's like, a, you know, a, one of these social anarchist kids that are, you know, uh, you know Occupy Wall Street or, you know, creating an autonomous zone in Seattle or what yeah. have you. They're living in a different kind of bubble. That's correct. Yes, but it's yes. essentially, when we say bubble, what we mean is an echo chamber. Well, and yeah. a padded echo chamber. Well, well, I mean, those kids... It's a confirmation bias on it. Yeah, I mean, they also all have it. iPhones. Right. They all still have computers. They all still have shoes on their feet. These are not the kids of coal miners. Right. These are, you know... Society is so look- terrible. I have to set up an autonomous zone, but, oh my goodness... Uh, I gotta go home and do my laundry. Right, or more likely, uh, yeah, you know things are. You know, this is a great place, but please don't look over there where those uh, those those rapes and sexual assaults happen because we didn't have any police or anybody taking care of things like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like I don't know. I I don't know that we did a great job with this episode because it seemed like we went all over the place. Maybe we'll wrap it up better he's than too that. Big. But he's, Mill was all over the place. Well, that's right. True. He's too big. He wrote so much, so often, and so deep. Uh, and I knew he'd have a difficulty with this. I just knew yeah. he would. Again, just like Khan, it's very hard to wrap your arms around. That's correct. And, and uh, I'm, I'm more inclined so to give us a bit of a pass on, on this. Because we're going to continue the discussion next episode. Yes. So, yes, again, what's next time? Uh, it's Code of Honor. And we're going to do exclusively quotations from John Stuart Mill. So that way, hopefully, we can maybe reach a better ending with our two-episode discussion of him than we do at this point. So post, just as a pause, folks, check with us next episode. We're going to continue. In two weeks. In two weeks. (laughs) 
Hope you enjoyed another pointless discussion of eternal questions. Remember, new episodes drop every second and fourth Friday at 6 a.m. Eastern. Spread the word. We're on all the major podcast platforms. And leave us a review. That helps others find us. We're on Instagram, Twitter, as well as our website, snakesandotters.com. I'm Martin. And I'm Robert. And I'm Francis. Join us next time.